Hi everyone, my name is Amanda Bulow and I'm the founder of Awesome Women in Construction, or AWIC, a not-for-profit association who provides a supporting community for women in the construction industry. I've started a podcast series called Awesome Women, taking a wide focus on women in all areas of the community, construction, automotive, mining, healthcare, farming, hospitality and many others. I have met some amazing and wonderful women in my time, and they all have a story to tell, one that we are ready to hear. The podcast guests have had and are having amazing careers. They are small business owners, many of them raising a family at the same time. Others I know are training for a variety of reasons, including representing our country in sport and climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Some of you have represented your country in sport and are now writing books and carving out very successful careers. Some of our guests are employed full time and have a side hustle. Your journeys vary, but they are all inspirational and can show others what the world has to offer. You are an inspiration to me and I wanna share that with the AWIC members in our fabulous community. My intention was to have a casual chat, enabling women to tell their stories. This has definitely been achieved. I have enjoyed recording these podcasts. Now it's time for you to enjoy listening to them. Hi everybody. Well, today we're having another awesome women podcast and today we've got Robin Baker joining us. Hi Robin. Hello. Thanks for having me. Robin's um, got a, I didn't want to say long history, Robin, but you know, it's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Robin's had an extended stellar career um, working for Brisbane City Council and a number of other um, businesses and um, has looked after a number of tending, tendering opportunities in there as well. So let's start having a chat about it all, Robin. So tell us about your time in the City Council, 20 years. Yeah, so from 1980 to 2000, I was employed by the Brisbane City Council and I still love the organisation. Many people hate it, um, but I'm still got a, I've got a love-hate with with it, you know, when my rates bill comes, I don't love it so much. But it, it was, it was, and it still is a great organisation. Um, and there's fabulous people in there, and some of them I still consider family that are still yeah. working in there, that have been in there for a long time. Um, I love it because some of my babies that came through um, that I trained are now managers, and they're training others. And it, it's interesting to have that discussion about how things were and how they are now and how everything works in the dynamics of managing staff. Well, I was going to say, even with the 20 years that you were in there, I'm sure you would have seen a lot of change in that time, particularly oh. over that, those couple of, you know, over that era. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, a lot of things changed. Brisbane grew while I worked in the council. So from 1980 to 2000, we had um, things like um, Amanda and I have been touching base on um, Queen Street Mall. We had yeah. Chinatown Mall developed. We had uh, the idea of moving. Um, it was interesting. When I first started there, council was located in all these different locations and then they decided that we'd move into the one building and then the one building got too big for us while I was working in there and we started to move out into other locations all over again so it was really interesting uh we had the commonwealth games we had expo 88 yeah um 
it was a fun time actually to be working just even south bank after expo 88 yeah yeah it was a fun time to be working in brisbane as well because we'd finish work at night time and we'd go to expo 88 every single night and then the weekend we'd be there so it was it was a great time we had some fabulous i worked in city hall for a period of time um and you name it we had popes we had king and queens um we had every dignitary you can imagine come through the doors and often luckily enough we met them um you know we had amazing fashion parades there not just with the um the RAQ awards, but the um, we would also host um, things like I remember Dynasty. If anybody remembers the TV program Dynasty, um, <laughs> we had a fashion parade with all the gowns that all the stars wore. Big shoulder pads. Yeah, yeah, and tiny, eeny weeny little waists. They were tiny, some of them. Um, so yeah, it was it was fun times. You know, Brisbane's a beautiful city, and I I love Brisbane. I love living here, and I've loved watching it grow. Um, you know, and just negotiating all those things. And I love going down this Queen Street Mall, walking into town and walking down the Queen Street Mall, and going, oh, I remember this was here and that was here, and. Um, I remember the different things that first came in and then how the even the uh, tenancies in the mall have changed um, and how uh, I was involved with a committee where um, it was negotiated. It was the first for Australia at the time because it's the largest council in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, it was negotiated that people who were on the Queen Street Mall and would benefit from all the work on the Queen Street Mall, they would pay higher rates. And then that was rippled out. So it was the Queen Street Mall rate levy um, and then the Chinatown Mall rate levy. And then they started to do that in other areas as well. So it was interesting. It was interesting to watch um, different regional development plans come in for different areas. Um, that's the only thing I find sad about Brisbane now is there was a lot more, I suppose, protection in place uh, for planning uh, in neighbourhood areas and now um, that's changed a lot um, and that changes with zoning as well um, and that's what's changed that a lot um, migration of more people to Brisbane discovering us after Expo 88 I think as well too. Yeah. I do yeah. remember Expo 88 that was a cool cool time we had the the pass so we could go anytime but you know it um yeah it was it was a good part of you know, of history, you know, mm -hmm. in Brisbane that we can be talking about. So, no, it's fantastic. And our, our city really grew, yeah. um, you know, and I loved being part of an organisation that um, we also had a, a um, you know, regardless of what your politics is, yeah. um, I loved the fact we had a, a woman Lord Mayor, a female Lord Mayor, and that was like a first for Brisbane. That was a first for Australia at the time. And... Um, and then we had a female CEO. So that, that was really good because first being employed in the council, no matter what your um, educational qualifications were, if you're female, you were a typist. If you were male, you were a clerk. Um, and you had to work like crazy to prove that you could be a clerk and you had to pass all extra tests and everything if you were a female to get there. So I was quite lucky. Um, I managed to get myself onto a scheme that was called the Clerical Development Scheme at the time. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine something like that these days? Yeah, yeah sexist times. <laughs> um, and it was um, offered, offered out some departments 
put staff on it and other departments like I was in um, used to all the staff would fight to get on it because we knew it was our way out of that branch because some branches you get in and you're there for life and that's the way an organized government organization can sometimes be and I was lucky enough that um, that I I got the role in my department and um, I every six months I would change and go to another department and work in another area so it was like changing jobs every six months but the systems were all the same so I watched computer systems come in in the council so when I first started we would all fight to get electric typewriters um, and then we went on to what we called NITS terminals which were non-intelligent terminals so they didn't talk to each other and they were black with green writing and then we got the new ones that were black with orange writing because the writing was much easier to see um, and they used to use that for their record systems and things like that and then uh, for a period of time when I worked in the council libraries uh, I worked in the area where um, and I looked after the staff who put the database for the um, library catalogues that were manual. If anybody ever remembers the big manual catalogues, you'd go look for uh -huh. the book. Yeah, have to look for the author and the title and to find out where the book was located in the library. Um, we put it all onto what was called the PALS system, which was a database system for the libraries. Um, so every library in Brisbane, and there's, um, I think there's 28 libraries in Brisbane, um, excuse me, from memory, uh, every, every book for every library had to be catalogued and put up onto there. How long as well something as like that take? Years, years. And at the yeah. same time, not only was that database being loaded up, at the same time, we were still cataloguing new books because there's all these new books. There was people employed in, um, in the library services that were just all they did, their, their career, their job was to uh, buy books that they thought would be popular or popular authors and make sure that they had enough in each library. Um, so, so it was a, a transition as well as building a new system. So that was, that was pretty exciting. Um, so yeah, and then all the, all the computer systems talking to each other and getting things like, I don't know whether anybody knows what microfiche is, and the council still has microfiche in some places, where you would load it into something and you would search for this little catalogue of things that were put down onto these, sort of look like a film print, you know, yeah. and you'd have to look through a machine to see where it was. Um, to search for information in history, and some of council's information is still on microfiche. Um, but they gradually put a lot of that, like building plans and building applications and stuff like that, they gradually put some of that up onto computers. So that was all quite interesting yeah. to get to a stage where, um, I mean, I remember one section, I don't know what I should talk about this, but anyway, it's history. You can keep um, the names out of it or... <laughs> we set up one particular section and we were trying to identify really large trees in Brisbane. Uh, we had to rely on what we had was aerial maps at the time and circle the large trees and then staff went out there and went, yep, that's a large tree, that needs protection order, that needs a protection order. Um, and they'd come back and we, we'd work on, you know, putting that into a, a system then so that then if anybody put and slowly the computers started talking to each other through each at each other others branches and all and you know departments um, so then if somebody went to put a pool in we'd go no 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 there's a big tree 
tree that's protected there, you can't put an application for a pool in there. It'll have to go here. Or if they put an extension of a house in or something like that, we could look at it. Um, so it was really, it was quite exciting because the section that I worked from, the idea was you would work in all these different departments. You would inevitably come back to that section. Um, and then you were you would work your way up through that section with the knowledge that you've gathered throughout the council but I never actually went back so no, I, suppose I was lucky in that respect because others got into areas that they wanted to stay in and there was just this bit of a shuffle around and who does who wants to go back who doesn't and I went no nah, I'm good for change I like change so but just to see yeah, it all unfold Robin like yeah, all of that yeah, yeah it was great and it was it was it was exciting and it was wonderful to see and I made so many friends and I've still got those friends um you know we often we were all in each other's bridal parties and things like that you know like we were family it's it's a very um people talk about different parts of government, um, you know, and nobody knows who's there or what they're doing. And in the council at the time, when I worked in there, there was 8,000 employees. Uh, we used to often hang out at similar places and we all crossed over. And if we didn't know that person, we knew somebody they worked with. So it, it was a big family and it still is. Like I've, I still do keep in touch with my babies from that era. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and not all of them work in councils. Some of them are in government now and some of them have gone corporate. Um, they're all in different places. So there was a one stage there was a lot of redundancies offered into the council. Um, and when I left council and did sort of some part-time stuff while my children were little and not well um, and I needed to be around for them, um, I was offered jobs by other ones going, hey, did you want us some work? And, and that's why that's how I sort of kept my hand in, I suppose. It, and they were setting up their own businesses and things like that. So yeah, awesome. So after the council, yep, you have busy connecting. Was busy yep. connecting something that happened straight after, or was there a bit of a time where we went, oh, what do we do now? Huge time delay. So busy connecting is something for me. Um, so like a lot of women, um, I and. You never know when you have kids that some ki some kids are healthy and fine and, you know, there's no problems, but you never know if you're going to have um, something that comes up. And I uh, found myself in a situation where, um, I, well, when I was pregnant with my first one, um, there was some issues that came up and the doctor sort of said to me, not a good idea to be working full time. Um, you're in a really high stressful position. Um, and it's probably not a good idea to be doing that full time. And I was just lucky at the time. I was working for the gorgeous David Hinchliffe, who I still love dearly, um, who was a councillor, but also deputy mayor. Um, and I worked in his electorate officer, um, in his electorate office. And um, so I was just lucky and fortunate that he wanted to keep me on. Um, and the organisation, he could talk to the organisation and sort of say, could we trial job sharing? Because that was something that was being tried um, in the um, early 90s. Um, and it was being tried by everybody but government. So I was, I myself and the person who I job shared with, we were basically the guinea pigs to make it work. It was basically, you know, if you want to do this, you need to make this work. Um, I like the word pioneer better than guinea pig. Let's yeah. 
they traveled, they pushed us, they pushed us to the limit a lot, but we had a lot of systems in place. And that's where I got a basis of learning. If you've got really good systems in place, no matter what you're doing, um, if you had those systems and you strategically manage those systems, then everything can function really well. And it can actually probably function better than when you haven't got those systems in place at a pure need. So we needed to have a forms of communication in place so that if somebody rang um, and sort of said, oh, I was talking to the other person and they said that they were going to do this, that we had systems in place that we could double check and say, well, actually, that's not what they said. They said they can help you with this um, and you've got these options. So, you know, we couldn't have anybody pull the wool over our eyes. Because no one would ever try to do that, would they, Robin? Oh, no. Uh, um, especially when you get another person because, I, you know, I often joke in government, just keep ringing until you get the answer you want yeah. get a different person every time just keep ringing till you get that person and you get the answer you want unless you've got somebody like um myself or my my partner in crime at the time that we we were all over that um and also we had a system in place that um you know it was seamless it needed to be seamless it needed to be like there was one person there yeah. so we had all these different things we had different ways of where we filed put things different um we had systems that if something came in a particular thing came in this is how we dealt with it um and we both used those same systems and it was great because after that i watched so many women then all of a sudden um start doing job sharing and that was that was quite exciting for me because i pro you know like set me a challenge um so proved that that could happen so then um, when my second one come along, it wasn't so easy to work even with job share because she was just sick often um, and in and out of hospital. Uh, so that uh, one day that I had to, um, I was fortunate enough to be working in the city at the time, job sharing, but in the city. Um, and I had my car handy and she got sick and she was at childcare. Um, and they were calling, they said, look, we're calling the ambulance. You know, it was really serious. And I had to, I had to go and I had to make that decision. Am I going in to chair this meeting or am I jumping in my car to get to my child? And of course, um, no oh, job wow. that important that you would just put your child second. So I jumped in my so car. They're calling the ambulance. Yeah, when they say they're calling the ambulance. So I suppose at that point I thought, you know, these occurrences of her being ill were becoming, all of a sudden they were becoming more and more. And, you know, you make that decision. And I went, what can I do? I can probably stay home and contract. And that I was lucky enough that I developed enough relationships and met enough different people that um, throughout the organisation that were working outside or had contacts outside that I could then do sort of the same sort of work, which was always my core work of, um, you know, assessments and submissions, uh, government submissions, when I say submissions. So, you know, government has all these systems where if you want something to happen, you have to put a submission in for it and you have to gather background information and you have to talk about it, but keep it concise in a way that it will get proved, approved and you're asking for X amount of dollars. So it's those core skills when you're applying for grants and tenders. Um, and I'd always worked in that area assessing grants and tenders um, along the way uh, that I could sort of put into play for other organisations and work in other areas. So it was a time too that she was well for a time and I went and studied part time at night time. 
um, and I did real estate and then I did some property economics and then I worked in that for a little while, helping out a friend who was in need um, as well as doing a bit of other stuff with documentation. Um, and then uh, about three years ago now, um, I'd been contracting for others and I had this discussion that we had we all had a business background and we'd go into businesses to help them with a tender or a grant. And I'd have that discussion with them is, you know, what are you looking for? How much do you want? Um, what is it you're after? And they used to often say, we just need money. And then I'd say, okay, so what else? How I'd try to get an understanding of their business because I wanted to apply for something that would, they would have the best possible chance of getting. Sure. Um, and so I'd get a bit of an understanding of their business and sometimes I'd see there was just things were tired and there were just systems that they needed in place and streamlining things can also save money in business. Mm -hmm. So I sort of had that discussion and said, you know, I think we should be doing this. And they were like, no, we're just going to do tenders and grants. And I went, you know what? I think I might do this just on my own and do it for the little guys because I was always doing stuff for medium to lot larger businesses and even with the larger businesses, they tick over for so long, and it's a little bit like government, they tick over, the same things are happening, and until somebody comes in, and I am a, um, what are they, there's a name that they call it, but I, I do like change, and I like to look at things and go, how can things work better? Um, disruptor, I'm often yeah. called a disruptor. <laughs> So, who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? So, where I look and go, you know, you can do this a lot more effectively. And there was a period of time in the council when I was involved in personnel where um, I'd go in with a team of people and we'd go into an area and it was like, you know, people unfortunately are probably going to be losing their job or made redundant or being um, moved on to another area. Uh, depending on what the outcomes were here. And you could often see there were systems that they just needed to um, get things a little bit more streamlined and be a bit more strategic with the way they manage things, um, that they could use their staff in other ways. So, uh, you know, like, I don't have many enemies, I suppose, in the council because when they saw me coming as part of the team, they'd go, Robin, we'll be trying to keep our jobs and trying to keep us here. And that's all they were really interested in most of the time. But you'd also have discussions with people who would be afraid of retiring, uh -huh. um, in a position to retire and afraid of retiring because they didn't know what was ahead of them and what they faced. And it was just sometimes putting them in touch with the right people and saying, did you realise there's people in, um, in the super area, there's people in the finance area that can help you figure out if you can retire and, and you can retire at a reasonable age instead of just working until you get the pension. You, you might be eligible for the pension one day, you know? So just sometimes having those discussions, there were people there that were also tired of doing what they were doing and they wanted change and they wanted something different. Or, and there were ones that were just felt like they were banging their heads all the time saying to their managers, you know, this needs to change. This doesn't work anymore and they weren't being listened to. So it was sort of like we would come in and listen to them and streamline it a little bit. And often you would find um, staff would take holidays, 
then we could, um, you know, holidays or long service. You know, they were always afraid of taking long service that someone younger would come in and take their job. So we could set up systems, and in the council it works quite well still, where there was actually a career path and you could look at sections and go, there's no career path, let's work with a career path and get a career path happening here. So that then those people who were also training and giving their knowledge, because they would leave council and their knowledge would be gone and their experience would be gone. There was no, well, there was, but there wasn't a lot of mentoring because they were afraid to share what they knew. Um, so then you put that mentoring in place and they're not afraid to share what they know. And, and it stops then anybody new coming through, making mistakes that have already been made in the past. You can start from where all those mistakes are made and you can grow it from there. So it was, it was beneficial to the organisation as well. Um, and if you can find cost savings in other ways, you can often then retain your staff. Yeah. Um, so it, it was just those key things and we started doing things differently and then all of a sudden other branches in other departments started doing things differently. So that was always nice to see that happen as well. Of course. Because um, I was one of the ones in council, I suppose, at the time you used to go in, you'd do your job, you wouldn't say anything, you wouldn't do anything. But I was lucky after I'd been through that scheme um, to then be able to pretty much before I started working with David, I was trusted in that the knowledge that I'd gained, they'd go, what's everyone else doing? Yeah. They wanted to know that knowledge. So I could then leverage that and say, this is what's happening in other branches and other organisations. And they're really progressive and we need to be as progressive. So also then in the council, it's slowly a system came in as user pays. Um, so in the council before, if you did something, it was never allocated to a job. You just did your job and got on with it. And then this system came in towards the end when I was leaving um, of user pays where you'd be like another organisation and you would pay for the services of that organisation. And it was all interdepartmental. Um, and once that started happening, uh, the management, I suppose, of funds and where the funding went um, was a lot easier to look at as well. Yeah, wow. So, yeah. so lately you've been, or we connected um, at a small business um, event, yes. nearly 12 months or so ago now, um, and you introduced yourself to me as the boring writer. Yeah. And I remembered that and still obviously do. And I thought, oh, that sounds cool. I need to, I need to find out more about that. <laughs> and since then, you've been helping um, AWIC um, with us for grants and just being a sounding board for all sorts of different things. And for that, I thank you. Um, how did, you know, was that all part of that extension of what you did in the council is yeah, helping so, people and having that skill set to do that? Yeah, so it's really interesting because... Um, when you're in the council, people know you. They or If you've never met them, they get to know you over a period of time. So when you worked in an organisation for a long period of time, they know the name. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you go somewhere, you, when you introduce yourself, they kind of know a bit about you. And then when you go into corporate and you work with different organisations, also they kind of, they do their research, they kind of know a bit about you. When I went to um, small business networking type uh, functions where you know there's plumbers and there's electricians and there's an accountant and a finance guy and you know a sign writer or something um, and excuse me there might be um, 
you know, other people who have got bigger businesses. And I used to introduce myself and I used to say, I write grants and tenders, any government documentation, grants and tenders, and they would just switch off immediately. And I watched them and I thought, oh, so um, my first love that I studied, because part of the deal was going on this development scheme, we had to study. Um, and so I took on extra study when I was in the council as a mature age student um, and marketing I started in IT but marketing I discovered was what I loved to do um, and switched over to business marketing so I sort of thought if I was trying to market myself how would I market myself because I thought I'm not marketing myself very well you know I'm introducing my people myself to people clearly they've got a short period of time there at these events and they want to move on as fast as possible so they've gone the old oh, elevator pitch right they've, you know? yeah they've either gone so at first when I said I was a writer um they go oh you wrote a book and I said no 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 I'm more of a non-fiction writer and then they would look at me and I'd go okay that's not getting anywhere <laughs> Like, isn't that a book still? Um, and and then, I, you know, I'd say I write grants and tenders. And three years ago, people didn't really understand what writing grants and tenders were about. Um, those who were applying for them or who had been successful or knew somebody who was successful knew what I was talking about. But most of the little guys out there doing their things, you know, the, the florists, like, she's doing flowers every day. What are you talking about? And I'd say, oh, you know, there'd be grants for you. There's grants for all businesses in, you know, and I mean, at the moment, there's over, I looked this morning, it topped at three, over $375 billion recently with everything that's happening. Billion with a B. B billion, um, but it's dropped back down. I looked this morning, it's over 180 billion. It's between about 185, 187. Still up from when I did my last grant workshop, which was in early March, it was 48.5 billion. And at the time I thought, how high can this go? Because it's not just government, it's private organisations as well that do grants. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, how high can this go? But clearly 375 was how high it could go. Um, but I'd say since some of the JobKeeper money and some of those things are coming out, that it's dropped down what's available. And that's the, I work on the available amount. So, so there's all these businesses out there that had no idea that they could apply and there was money there for them. Um, and then you get into conversations and they go, but what's the catch? And it's like, some of it's free money. There's no catch. Just spend it on what you say you're spending it on once you get the approval and it's all yours. And they're going, but I would have bought those computers anywhere. And I'm like, yes, but you can get the grant. So, um, so that was interesting. But I just found walking into those networking things, they had not a clue. And I just wanted to engage them for a little bit, just a little bit, to not only just have them shove me their business card, but also find out a bit about them. So I went, you know what? I'm going with a hashtag. I've been hashtagging now for over five years when I go on something for Facebook and things like that. And everyone's going, no, no, we don't hashtag on Facebook. Well, guess what? We do now. Yeah. And those algorithms that I built in the last five years have been paying off for me. So I went hashtag the boring writer. And if you look up hashtag, the hashtag, the boring writer anywhere, you should find me because I should have had enough um, times that I've put it in something or somebody's, um, tagged me in it that it comes up and it boosts my algorithms on when you're looking for me in Google or Facebook or anywhere like that so yeah so I introduced myself as a boring writer because nobody remembered my name I realized in business they don't remember your name they don't remember probably even your business name and a lot of people thought I sold honey um, <laughs> 
know, I, like I'd hand them my business card with busy connecting on. They go, oh, do you sell honey? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I just know lots of people and I'm always, girlfriends of mine always said I was busy connecting people with other people and, and businesses with other businesses. So when I went for a business name, that was just an obvious sense. choice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so they remember if you can come up with something catchy and you know, um, I think she might have donated some prizes to you, one of my clients that I work with, and that's Nicole from Soka. We talked no to her earlier, yeah. Yeah, no one knows how to spell Soka. They get the spelling wrong. It's a play on words. It's Scandi-looking word. But when we came up with the hashtag, life's too short to be in the laundry, there's not too many people that don't identify with that and go, oh, life's too short to be in the laundry. It's like Nike, just do it. You've yeah. got to have a tagline. And my tagline is essentially the boring writer. Yeah. So, That's cool. <laughs> so that was good that it worked with you as well. Yeah, no, well, it worked with, yeah. And then, you know, we found, um, you showed me that tip on, um, on LinkedIn while we were there as well, you know, searching for those that are oh, in the room, which... Oh, yeah, we can um, share that another time, maybe. Yeah, that's, a, that's a fun one I like to roll out. That gets me invited to lots of letter I'm at If it's a letter opening, a garage door opening, if something's opening, I'll be there. Hmm. Um, and that gets me to a lot of those. And they let me share that little trick. That yeah. Little yeah, I, I agree. I, I had a boss once say, and then you'll go to a letter opening and I'm like, yes, but you never know what's on that letter. Um, never know who you might meet. And that's the other side of it, you know, just go in and yeah, go and, uh, you know, the old business card swap, you know, it still happens today, even though it's all, you know, tech driven and whatnot. But yeah, it's about, you know, and then coming back and, you know, connecting with them on LinkedIn the next day and going, hey, it was great to meet you. And because then you stick in their head. Yes, yeah, and plus, for people like me that are getting really old now, um, when, I, when I've met somebody, I say, it's so nice meeting you at the small business event, then I remember where I've met that person. Yeah. Um, then if I want to connect them with someone else, I can often then put the face to who it was and where I've met them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and when you're in small business, it's not going to come to you. I've got clients that have set up bricks and mortar shops and, you know, painted them, fitted them out. They're beautiful. They're really good at what they do. And then they've sat there and waited for clients to come through the door and it just doesn't happen. So it's about getting you that digital footprint happening that people then can find you, you know, making sure your SEOs on your website is working and, you know, and partnering with that digital footprint for people to find you. But also I think that, you can never underestimate and even now what we're up against now you can't underestimate that human contact i think we all um we all crave it and that human contact i'm part of i'm on a board of a business group in my local area um and i love them dearly and that connections that we make there we don't go in that it's a business group where we just do stuff throughout the community. It's not about doing business with each other. We're just a group of businesses and our matriarch, when she set it up, realized that um, when people get to know businesses in their community and get to know other businesses in their community, they're likely to recommend them yeah. um, and they're likely to do business with them. So we go out there and do stuff and raise money and hand out. I love it. I hand out big checks. Um, that's oh, my card. Big novel, the big novelty oh, ones. Yeah, I nice. hit the community liaison committee, but I like to call it the spending committee. Yeah. Um, I, I have big check and we hand out the big check to community organisations that desperately just need small amounts of money because we're not raising huge amounts yet. The plan is we will. Um, 
and um, and by doing that, we're getting known in the community. We're getting known as businesses that actually are doing what they say they're doing. We're actually are looking out for the community and sharing what we can share. Um, and other people get known, you know, get to know you because of it. And we've got a membership of like 80 strong. And I challenge any BNIs and Chamber of Commerce, there's no offence to anybody who's in them, but I challenge them to have 80 businesses um, membership of really engaged businesses that know their guys and go and when somebody new comes they know to go up and say hey how are you and it's not just one person who'll do that anybody in that group will do that it's not necessarily a person that's got that designated role to go and say hi you know that that's somebody new and they look out out of place and you know how that felt when you walked in there so you go and welcome them and then um you know, and have a chat and go like, we're not like any other group. And, you know, we're about that connection. And it really, it does, it pays off. We all do business with each other and it's not intentional. It's just, if I'm looking for something, if I'm looking for a plumber, that plumber um, will come to mind that's in my business group because I know them really well. And I know they're lovely people and they stand beside me on a sausage sizzle to raise money for community. You yeah. know, I know their hearts in it. So, yeah. Makes a difference, doesn't it? Does make a difference, yeah. So, Robin, we haven't necessarily talked about, um, you know, taking time out for ourselves and looking after ourselves and all that in, you know, whether we're in business and and particularly in our current climate. But while we wrap up, what are what are three things you, pieces of advice you might give to someone? Okay, so probably. Things have changed for me yeah. um, and I, I am a workaholic and my kids have both left home now. So, you know, I don't have a lot of reason to not be a workaholic, um, but I've made the decision, just everything being so busy that I'm going to start saying no. And that's something that I often don't do. I often don't say no. I often try to just fit everything in. Um, and I've decided I'm going to have at least one day on the weekend, hopefully two, I'll build up to the two, that I can just do something for myself or go somewhere for myself because I know um, I went into lockdown on the 11th of March because in circumstances I came across some people who I was in a meeting who then let me know the next day they'd been exposed. So I thought, I don't want to be the person giving it to everybody. So I locked down from the 11th of March and and until last week, well, weekend before last, I had not even been to a shop because everything delivers now and you really don't need to go to a shop. Um, and I managed around it and I'd never done online shopping, so I've discovered online shopping. Um, and I went into the shops and there were people everywhere and I went, I can't do this. Um, and then last weekend, we went for a drive and it's the first time we've got out of the house and just out to go somewhere. And I think now that's something I'm valuing more. So taking that time out where I can spend some time in my garden, which I used to do all the time before I had my own business, mm -hmm. spend some time in the garden, do some crochet at night time, just that downtime, um, I think is really important. Um, so if you've got your own business, I'd say learn to say no for <laughs> one. Learn to say no. Um, learn to take some time out in your diary. I do, and I suppose it's a council thing that I learned, I systemise things where I block out times in my diary 
for different things. And I block out half a day a week to do certain paperwork things. I block out two hours a week to do scheduling for Facebook and things like that. So I'm going to start blocking out more time that will be my time that I can do things in between. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's a third one. Just what, about, what about your community, like networking and your community and keeping that up? I mean, you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah. So that um, I feel everybody's gate crashing my world because I've lived on Zoom and Google Teams and Blue Jeans and all those things for the last three years with my overseas clients. Um, but yeah, take that time and. I've been on the phone just re-ringing those ones in community organisations, just staying in touch with them. I'm really lucky and grateful that most of them I've got into or were part of the NOW network, which is my business group. So we invite and welcome community groups as well. So that we had our first uh, group meeting the other day. Um, so it was nice to see their faces and keep in touch with them. And it's those um, community groups that you are normally involved in find out what they need, yeah. um, find out how you can help them. And that's another reason I'm saying no. It's not necessarily because I've got, I have got plenty of work to keep me going. I've got plenty to keep ticking on, but I'm saying no because I want to be able to get my clients through. Um, also, if I can be there from a mental health point of view, just to look at things in a different way for the community organisations, because some of them are, um, are finding it very difficult to get through this. Um, they're older than me um, and they're just finding some challenges there and we're talking about, you know, what we can do and how we can go about those things to keep supporting people in need in the community. Yeah, the pain so, back. So it's that making time, you know, make sure that you set aside some time and make it. Yeah, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Robin. It's been awesome to speak to you. Thank you. Um, now, if anyone's got any questions about grants or they want to just connect with you, what are some of the best ways they can do that? Okay, so um, I have a number of groups. My business page at the moment's gone a little bit off the rails because I'm trying to service everybody and every business and every community organisation. So I'm putting up stuff to help everybody. So I've got my busy connecting Facebook page, but I've also got some little groups on the side that are closed private groups that I only usually share with anybody who comes to my grant workshops or our clients. And at the moment, I'm sharing that information to help them so that I can, whilst I can still say no nicely, I can't help you at the moment, but here's some stuff that you might be able to look for. Because I've had quite a few people who've gone, now might be a good time to set up that business that I've been looking to do for ages, because they're home and looking for something to do because they're not working. Um, so I've got some things in place that they can go to and refer to and find that information. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd like to try and show as many people as I can how to write their own grants on the smaller end. Yeah. So I will be doing some more um, online workshops with just snapshots of what I can help them with or what I can show them and they can do it themselves. And I'd really like to... Uh, teach every man how to fish instead of giving them fish. Well, I was going to say, anyone who's listening, you know, jump on and, you know, whether Robin's doing an online course or, or one that you can go and, you know, when we're out of isolation and attend, because um, I did one at the end of last year. And although um, I'd written a couple of grants, um, it gave me a much better understanding of how they work and what to look for and where to look for them. Um, so, yeah, definitely um, recommend attending one of those.
Yeah, so if they message me through my Facebook page, my Busy Connecting Facebook page, I'll figure out what they need and direct them in that way. I'm always happy to have a chat. I'm not saying no to a phone call or a chat. Um, it's just burying myself in, like, yeah. all that heavy stuff, yeah. And, and LinkedIn is hashtag the boring writer? Uh, LinkedIn, you can go hashtag the boring writer or it's just Robin Baker. Okay. So, yeah. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you for your time, Robin. I'm sure people will be in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Stay safe.